Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, we begin in verse 5 and I'll read down to verse 11. Beloved, hear God's word. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's come to him in prayer. Our God and Father, we, we rejoice in the worship of your church. We join with the wise men and with the angels to sing our our glory to God as we consider the advent and the coming of Messiah. We, we come now to the center and to the, to the high point of corporate worship, to the exposition of Your Holy Word. And as Your Word is expounded, we pray, show us Christ, the living and incarnate Word. And it is in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, beloved, when, when I was 21 years old, just about four years ago now. <laughs> when, I, when I was 21, I read a book that my girlfriend bought me on my 21st birthday. My girlfriend then, now my wife. This book forever changed the way I think about God. I have read and reread this book throughout the years. And what I learned from that book has worked its way into, I believe, just about every sermon I have ever preached, including this one. This book, Volume 1 of the Works of Jonathan Edwards, is easily the most important book in my theological library. Now, there's a short sermon included at the end of this volume. And the title of that sermon is, The Excellency of Christ. You'll notice that's the title of my sermon this afternoon, The Excellency of Christ. Now, it's an easy read. You can sit down and, and read this sermon in about 20 or 30 minutes. Now, that sermon has haunted me for years. And I have, I have never been able to think about the person and work of Jesus Christ in the same. As, as most of you know, we, we have spent two weeks working through a few rather controversial topics in theology. About three weeks ago, the freedom of the will. And then last week, the impassibility of God. And we framed these issues, if you remember, we framed these issues in theology by first establishing the creator-creature distinction. The creator-creature distinction. The creator is not a creature, nor is the creature Creator. There is a distinction. 
And we emphasized in this distinction that God is transcendent, that He is sovereign, and that He is mighty. The heavens, as Solomon prayed, not even the highest of heavens can contain Thee. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. Last week, we said that infinite, transcendent, eternal God, He comes down. He condescends. The unknowable God makes Himself known. He condescends to His creatures so that we might know Him, so that we might worship and adore Him. And this condescension, this revelation of Himself is, as you know, this condescending is epitomized in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In what is, to me, a chilling dialogue from the Gospel of John between Philip and Jesus. In John 14, Philip asks Jesus, as, as they're celebrating the last Passover and the First Holy Communion, Philip requests and he says to Jesus, he says this, if you remember, John 14, Lord, he says, show us the Father. Uh, show us the Father and, and, and it's enough. It is sufficient for us. Jesus, please, he was asking, show us the Father and it's enough. It will be enough, he said. And then Jesus responds to his request with these chilling words. Now, I say chilling because it's as if the triune God of Scripture Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's as if they are responding univocally with one voice as we learned. They're responding with one voice to Philip. And Jesus says, He says this, Have I been with you so long, and yet, yet still, you have not known Me? Friends, watch your pronouns here. Have I been with you so long that you don't know me? Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father. And so Jesus says, you don't know me? Have I been with you so long this whole time and you don't know me? It's as if Almighty, Transcendent Father God is speaking through His Son to Philip. Jesus says, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Now friends, there's a great and profound mystery right there. It is the mystery of the Incarnation, where transcendent, infinite, eternal God condescends. He comes down in the person of His Son, in Jesus Christ. And in Him, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says this, that in Him, all of the fullness of deity, all of the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him bodily. This is the mystery of the incarnation. How can, how can this be? How, how, can, how can infinite God, not even the highest of the highest heavens can contain Him, how can transcendent God, who is beyond all space and time, how can, how could, how can the fullness of infinite God dwell in a body? How can God dwell in a body so that He, that is Jesus Christ, is truly and completely God? And yet, 
in this profound mystery, yet he is truly and completely man. God incarnate, as we say. The God-man who represents humanity and deity in indivisible oneness. How can this be? And I confess to you, some things, many things are too wonderful for me. This is high, too high. I cannot attain it. Psalm 139, verse 6. Job said this, I have uttered things I don't understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. Job 42, verse 3. Now, as I continue to read my Bible, as I continue to read through the Gospels and the life of Christ, I am always... I'm always struck by his miracles, water to wine, the calming of the storm, as our elder mentioned, walking on water, the healing of the sick, and of course, of course, the resurrection. All of these are amazing and worthy of further consideration and further meditation. But what gives me pause, where I feel like I'm standing on holy ground, where I I am awestruck and dumbstruck even, things too wonderful for me, too high, I cannot attain, is that Almighty God, unfathomable, uncontainable, infinite God, in all of His infinitude, condescended to live with and among His people. How can this be? Which brings us back to Philippians 2 and to the mystery of the Incarnation. And this brings us back to the sermon I mentioned, written by Jonathan Edwards, The Excellency of Christ. Beloved, the incarnation will not impress you unless you know who God is. That He is the great I Am. That He is, the, that he is transcendent God. You will not be impressed by the person and work of Jesus Christ until you know who He is, and where He came from, the heights from which He descended. Paul says it like this, who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You see, He was God. He is God in the form of God. But He didn't consider Even though he was deity, he didn't consider that something to be snatched. Something that that he would claim to himself. Something to take to himself. Though he was God, the Son of God, one with the Father. Very God of very God. Light from light, as the Nicene Creed teaches us. Yet he did not take to himself what was rightly his. What he already absolutely was. And is. Instead, what did he do? Paul tells us that he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Almighty God, in the second person of the Godhead, humbled himself and he made himself of no reputation. He came as a bond servant. You know what bond servants do? They wash other people's feet. He who was one with the Father was found in the appearance of a man. Timeless, 
eternal, transcendent God found in time, in flesh, incarnate, incarnate, in human form. The one who commands the universe, Lord of all, humbled himself and became obedient even, even to the point of death. The author and giver of life obeys and becomes obedient even to the point of laying down his life. This is Paul. Would you listen now? Listen to Jonathan Edwards as he unpacks. He unpacks this expression that we read of in Revelation 5. Lion and lamb. Lion and lamb. Referring, of course, to the incarnate Christ, who is in the form of God, and yet he humbled himself. Edward says this, that in Jesus, meet, in Jesus, meet an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. Let me say that again. In the person of Jesus, meet an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies. A lion is very different than a lamb, and yet they each have their own specific excellencies. Excellencies that meet wonderfully and perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ, as in no one else. Diverse excellencies, seemingly opposite, seemingly opposite perfections. Edwards, he argues that in Jesus Christ, now follow me, I'm going to give you 13 of these. That's an abbreviated list from that Edwards sermon. 13 diverse excellencies. Here we go. Edwards argues that in Jesus do meet infinite highness and and infinite condescension. Christ, as He is God, He is infinitely great and high. He is above all. He is higher than the kings of the earth, for He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is higher than the heavens and higher than the highest of the heavens. And He is so high, He He is infinitely above any need of us. He is above our reach. We are not and cannot be profitable to Him. He is above our, he's above our conception. We cannot comprehend Him. And yet, yet in Jesus, we have infinite condescension. Christ comes down. He, he condescends. He stoops to the lowest of the low. To those who are despised by others. Those who are despised by others, Christ does not despise. He came to the weak and the foolish, to the base and the shameful and the despised. These He chose. He he condescends to the most unworthy, to sinful creatures. He condescends to the undeserving. And Edwards writes this, to the the infinitely ill-deserving So great is His condescension that He calls them friends, brothers, and sisters. So great is His condescension that He is even willing to unite His soul to theirs in spiritual marriage. It was enough that He came and took our nature to Himself to become one of us, to become like us, so that He might become one with us. And he goes even lower. 
He exposes himself to shame, to spitting, to mangers, and to crosses. He exposes himself to an ignominious death. Edwards, in Jesus do meet infinite justice and, and infinite grace. As a divine person, he is, he is holy and just. He perfectly hates sin. He is the judge of the world, perfectly righteous, and he will not acquit the wicked or by any means clear the guilty. And yet, he is infinitely gracious and merciful. Though his justice is is so exacting with respect to sin and every breach of the law, yet his grace is sufficient, sufficient for every sinner, yea, even for the chief of sinners. In the person of Christ, do meet infinite glory and lowest humility. These can meet in no other person but in Jesus Christ. For no created person has infinite glory, nor can we speak of divinity as properly humble. Humility is for creatures. For those who are created, who are lower and lesser than the Creator. And thus it would be a contradiction to suppose humility in God. But, but in Jesus, who is truly God and truly man, these two excellencies, glory and humility, in Christ they are sweetly united in the God-man. In His glory He is above all. And yet He becomes the lowest of all, despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Isaiah 53 tells us that people turned their face away from him. They wouldn't look at him. They refused to look at him. They didn't want to look upon him. Infinite glory and lowest humility. In the person of Christ, do meet transcendent majesty and abject meekness. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. He rebukes the sea. He calls forth life from the dead. He laid the foundations of the earth. He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. He exercises all authority in heaven and on the earth, and yet never was there a greater example of abject meekness, a gentle and quiet soul. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, for I am meek and lowly of heart. When reviled, he reviled not in return. He was ready to forgive his worst enemies, praying for the souls of those who crucified him. Father, forgive them. Christ is a lion in majesty and a lamb in meekness. Silent before his shearers, he opened not his mouth and went as a lamb to the slaughter. Their meat in Christ, the deepest reverence and respect for God, and yet equality with God. No one 
honored, obeyed, respected God as Jesus did. None. In prayer often, kneeling in reverential worship, always about his father's business, accomplishing his father's will, absolutely submitted to his father and yet truly and completely God. One with the father. Possessing all of the attributes of deity, equal in divinity and in glory, and yet in him meet reverence for God and equality with God. In the person of Christ are conjoined an exceeding spirit of obedience and supreme dominion over heaven and earth. He is supreme over all. Dominion over all, sustaining all things by the word of his power. Every angel obeys. Every demon is subject to his lordship. He exercises sovereign supremacy over all of creation in the material world, over the spiritual realm. And yet, in the same person is found the greatest spirit of obedience to the commands of God's law. And mind you, Never has anyone received commandments as hard and as difficult as were given to him. To yield himself to so great a suffering, to bear the fullness of God's wrath and that willingly to which he prayed, thy will be done. He humbled himself and and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. In the person of Christ, do meet self-sufficiency, total self-sufficiency, and yet complete and utter reliance upon God. As a divine person, he is self-sufficient. He is in need of nothing and no one since he gives to all men life, breath, and all things. He is absolutely independent and absolutely self-sufficient and yet his entire trust and his entire dependence was in God his Father. Never a time, never a day, never a moment when he was not absolutely dependent upon God Almighty. Beloved, This glorious conjunction of diverse excellencies appears, Edwards argues, it appears most clearly when he offered himself up for sinners as a sacrifice on the cross. These diverse excellencies appear most clearly in his last suffering. Listen to this. Never did he appear as much a lamb as when he was slain. Isaiah 53, verse 7, like a lamb to the slaughter. And yet, in that very same act, did Christ show himself to be the lion of the tribe of Judah, strong to save. The weakness of humility, culminating in crucifixion, from cradle to the cross, These are symbols of weakness. The high point of his humiliation, the apex of suffering and agony. Never did he suffer such bodily pain or sorrow of soul than at his death. Never was his humility, meekness, condescension, and patience more exercised and stretched as in the last suffering on the cross. Never was his divine glory and majesty more covered in so thick a dark cloud. Never did he so empty himself 
himself and make himself of no reputation. And yet, yet never, never was his divine glory so manifest. Never was his divine glory so manifest by any of his acts or miracles as in yielding himself up to suffer as a substitute. Beloved, it is this very act, the act of his crucifixion when he was slain, that is praised by all of the angels and all of the heavenly hosts. Revelation 5.9 Thou art worthy, O Lord, to take the scroll and open its seals, for Thou wast slain and didst purchase men to God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so they sing in the endless ages of eternity, worthy is the Lamb to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Never, Edwards writes, never did Jesus so manifest His love to God as when He was on the cross. And yet never, never was a love for God's enemies so manifest than when He was on the cross. The, the shame, beloved, the shame of spitting, the torment of body, the spilling of blood, that exceeding sorrow of soul unto death. This is what he underwent for love. Love for God. But also, love for God's enemies. For rebels who were against God. To save them from hell. And to purchase eternal glory for them. Christ never so stood for divine justice as when he went to the cross. Let me say that again. He never, he never so stood for divine justice as when he went to the cross. And while he stood for justice to vindicate the just judgment of God, yet he suffered under divine justice. The wrath, the holy, just, and righteous wrath of God was satisfied. It pleased the Lord to crush Him who made His life an offering for sin. God was appeased. His wrath was pacified. It was satisfied. While God, while God the Son bore the weight of this just judgment, the weight of divine wrath, He was upholding justice while suffering under justice. In His crucifixion and death, He was treated as the most unworthy. And yet, it is on account of this that He is accounted the most worthy. The most worthy. Therefore God, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, we read it, therefore God has highly exalted Him and given Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Never did He suffer more by the hands of men than when He was crucified. And yet never did He shower such love upon men as when He was crucified. It was in His suffering that Christ was delivered over to death 
by his enemies. And yet, in his death, he obtained victory over the enemies. Over Satan and death and sin. Lion and lamb. In his greatest weakness, he was the most strong. At the mercy of those who crucified him so that he might save those who crucified him. Friends, Edwards now, he turns in this sermon. And I've given you an abbreviated list. I highly encourage you to read that sermon. But he turns in application and he writes this. Let the consideration of the divine excellencies of Christ, the divine excellencies that meet in the person of Jesus, this is application, induce you to accept Him. To come to Him as Savior. Fallen man is in a state of misery. We are helpless in it. Poor and weak creatures. Dead. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. Spiritually lifeless and dead. But Christ is the Lion of Judah. He is strong though we are weak. He is life though we are dead. He has done what no creature can do. Fallen man is polluted, but Christ is infinitely holy. Fallen man is hateful, but Christ is infinitely loving. Fallen man is the object of God's wrath, but Christ is infinitely dear to God, His beloved Son. We have dreadfully provoked God. You, non-Christian, sinner in Zion, have dreadfully provoked God. But Jesus Christ has performed that righteousness which is infinitely precious in God's sight. If you are a poor sinner, distressed, whose heart is ready to sink, sink in fear of God, that He will never have mercy upon you, you need not fear, he writes. You need not be afraid to go to Christ. For He is able and He is willing to help you His infinite grace and gentleness bids you come. These embolden the poor, unworthy, fearful soul to come. If Christ accepts you, He says you need not fear, but that you will be safe, for He is a strong lion in your defense. And if you come, He will accept you. For He is a Lamb. He is a Lamb to all who come to Him. And He receives such who come with tenderness and grace. It is true. He has awful majesty. He is the great God and infinitely high above you. But be encouraged, poor sinner. He is also man, just as He is God. He is a creature, as He is Creator. And He is the most humble and most lowly in heart of any creature in heaven or on earth. What? Edward says this. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of that keeps you from Christ? Are you afraid that He can't save you? 
That, that he is not strong enough? Friend, how could you desire someone who is stronger than Almighty God? As he is called in Isaiah 9, the everlasting Father, Almighty God. Are you afraid? Uh, afraid that he, he will not stoop so low as to take notice of you? That, that he will not come down to so lowly a sinner as you? Do you not remember when he was surrounded by a ring of soldiers? How he exposed his most blessed face to their blows? How they spat upon that face that was once transfigured in glory? Behold him bound and his back uncovered, ready for the lashings. Behold him hanging on a cross, dying on a tree. And do you think he will not stoop and condescend to you? Will he not come to you? Will he not, who endured such agonies, would he be unwilling to accept you? Will he not accept you if you but come to him? And if you but come to him, if you are his, if you belong to the Son of God, then God the Father, whose infinite delight has been from all eternity in Him. God the Father will accept you in the Beloved. And so, we, by faith in Jesus Christ, we are united to Him. And once we are united to the Son of God, we thus partake of the Father's love for His Son. Jesus prayed this in John 17, 23. Listen to this. I in them, and thou in me. Thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. And then in verse 26, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them. Beloved church, what is Christmas about? I suggest to you that if it's not about Christ, then it is about nothing. Just another distraction to get you to think about anything other than Christ. Trees, lights, presents, whatever. You fill in the blank. But instead, let our hearts and minds, our thoughts, our contemplation, our meditations, all of our enjoyment, let it all bring us to the fountain of all joy and hope and love for unto us a child is born a son is given his name will be mighty god everlasting father prince of peace friends before we sing our last hymn let's come to him in prayer good and merciful god we come before You humbled that a holy God would visit a sinful world. What is man that You are mindful of him? 
the Son of Man that you would visit. That you would send your only begotten, your beloved Son to seek and to save the likes of us. Lord, we are humbled and we are amazed. We are awestruck that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him bodily. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with men as men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. That he would condescend and, and humble himself and take on the form of a bondservant, humbled to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And that, Lord, for us, for our sins, because we were hopeless and lost, we are humbled to the dust. And Lord, we confess that we're sinners in need of Christ, in need of the Savior, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth glory to god in the highest all of our trust is in jesus and for those who don't know you and him today open the eyes of their understanding lord reveal their sin and their need for forgiveness and above all have mercy and grant this second birth the gift of eternal life lord as our worship continues we pray be glorified in the praises of your people this we pray in the mighty name of jesus who is one with the Father and with the Spirit. Amen.